Hello, and welcome to Jaffa Cakes for Proust Presents Tilted Ice's 12 Months of Christmas, what we laughingly call the May... Is the April? No, it's the April one, isn't it? The April one's coming out in May. The May one should be coming out in a couple of weeks' time. And all being well, the June one is where I'll get back on schedule. And for today's guest, it had to happen sooner or later. I am joined by Mr. Sitcom Club himself, Gary Roger. And this is the only time I think I'll ever get a chance to say this. Gary, welcome to the show. Hey, nice to be here. Is this is this what you've been hiding all this time? Because we were supposed to do a sitcom club on the 1st of January. I haven't heard anything from you. And then suddenly I find you're hiding out in this Christmassy backwater. What the hell's going on? Well, sorry, are you ready? Are you ready to bring sitcom club back? I think I know the answer to that question. And that's why I'm doing this. Caught me out, eh? Well, no, this is true. But thank you very much for inviting me into this lovely, festive hovel. We've got all manner of uh, goodies to talk about, haven't we? Well, yeah, because, of course, this list I give people of various versions of this story, you, you had to pick the lightest, uh, the, the comedy one. I actually have no recollection of ever choosing this. If you say I did, then, then fine, we'll go with that. But Yes, 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 I did. I, I, I genuinely did. And I thought you were maybe going to choose like one of the silent ones, but... Did you really think that? No, actually, I've got those put to one side for somebody else. So somebody a bit more cultured. doesn't take that much to be more... No, no, hang on a minute. I'm falling back into the bad old ways. You're my guest. Honestly, no, be... this is what, uh, dear listeners, I'm, I'm a guest on this program. And I'm, I'm getting the insults already. It's not nice, is it? What's your background with this story? Okay, right, so... It's one of those things where I have no recollection of what the first adaptation of A Christmas Carol that I ever saw would have been. Obviously, I was familiar with it. The thing that sticks into my mind most of all is that at school, round about 87 thereabouts, we had this catalogue that came round the class. It was like a sort of book club. You could choose what you wanted and you'd order it from the teacher and then you'd get the books and so on. And one year at Christmas time, or approaching Christmas, they had one, one single videotape in the catalogue. And it was an animation of A Christmas Carol. I think it was from New Zealand. And we just got our first VHS. So I chose that as my title. And I remember the, the other kids sort of being moderately impressed. It's like, hey, Gary's getting a videotape. Cool. So I watched that a lot because, as we've discussed on other shows, Back then, any kind of media that you had, you consumed it a lot. And yeah, I, I knew practically every line from that tape. And otherwise, I do have a particular fondness for the Wilfred Bramble adaptation, as you know. The real one, the, the 3 two, one episode, not the imaginary one from that episode of Rosemary and Time, where they make up a bunch of non-existent British movies. Yes, indeed. No, the 3 two, one edition, uh, because it, it, it does take liberties with the text. Which you've got to do in a two-minute sketch. You know, we've we've been through this before because Jeff Cakes Bruce piloted with us talking about the Christmas Carol. That three, two, one is Dickens. That's the theme, Dickens. The theme is not a Christmas Carol, despite the fact that a Christmas Carol is perfect for three, two, one because it's all chopped up into bits. No, it would yeah, it would have been perfect for a compartmentalized Christmas show, and you could have had a lot of fun with it because they always have celebrity guests, so you could have had everybody assigned to the various characters. Definitely. Well, this is one of the things I want to talk about this. So, 
in case you've somehow stumbled across this MP3 and somebody stripped out all the tags, today we're talking about Rich Little's Christmas Carol from 1978, uh, made by CBC. Hang on a minute, that means this podcast counts as Canadian content. Yes, it does. Not actually based in Canada, but it means um, something. Well, presumably that means that we can get on... Can we get on public radio in Canada with this? Can we? Maybe yes. Should we? Only the Canadians can tell us for sure. You know, in, in despite all of this, I didn't actually bother to look up Rich Little's Wikipedia page. The minimum amount of research, and I failed. I think that our listeners... Oh, again, I'm doing it again. I think your listeners are cultured enough to know about Canadian Impressionists. He's Canadian, isn't he? Yes, he was born in Ottawa. See, I knew it was... You know, the first place I ever heard of Rich Little was in a Batman comic. Um, and it wasn't in the story, it was in the editorial. Because, yes, there was a time when Batman comics, when they were edited by Dennis O'Neill, that they actually had an editorial column. And I think he was complaining about... He was applying, he was, he was applying for a passport or something like that. And the authorities demanded that he send a copy of a particular document like a birth certificate or something and not the original and he was furious about why why is the copy better than the original what the hell's wrong with it to the world and at the end he was sort of saying well, if the copy's better than the original here's a few things which and one of his was rich little is the world's greatest actor uh, i do remember he ended it with anyway i'm hungry now so i'm going to read a cookbook <laughs> so rich little was just like for a while he was just a reference that would crop up in American things. And then I saw most, but not all, of the TV movie based on the book The Late Shift. Yes. The Late Shift. Yep. Good book, good film. In which he played Jeff Altman playing Johnny Carson. <laughs> and that's very mean of me to say that. I don't doubt Little developed his own Johnny Carson impression. But generally, if you see some, certainly if you see somebody who's not fair for their impressions doing a Johnny Carson impression, they're actually doing Jeff Altman's Johnny Carson. I tend to associate Rich Little with either this or his Robin Hood pastiche, and they always seem to be on at 5am in certain ITV regions uh, in the early hours The of Robin Christmas Hood morning. one? That's new to me. Oh yeah, there's definitely a Robin Hood one. Yeah. So I just have to apologise for the clanking of the jar I am wondering, are you, are you um, eating your Weetabix just now or something? What? I woke up late. <laughs> it's the morning here in California. It's morning. In California, and uh, I am actually having my breakfast. <laughs> I this. I'm having uh, English muffins and raspberry jam. Now, with any other guest, <laughs> I'd be ashamed to do this, but you know, Gary knows what it's like in this. Is there is there any version of the text of a Christmas Carol that involves English muffins and raspberry jam? Because if there is, then you can say that this is research. We never find out what Marley died of, do we? Maybe he choked on a muffin. So, this is a effectively a one-man show. There are a few extras towards the end, in which Rich Little does his impressions of various celebrities, and they've all been inserted into the text of A Christmas Carol, which, watching this, thinking, oh, they should have done this with Stanley Baxter. So one thing that interests me is, are the celebrities chosen to play the part well chosen? So his Scrooge is W.C. Fields. Now, at first I thought, yeah, that's good casting. But I thought, you couldn't actually make a version of A Christmas Carol with W.C. Fields. Because there's no way he could sell the the reformed Scrooge, is there? It would be difficult. 
Yes. But then it, we, we only do see about 30 or so hours of reformed Scrooge, don't we? Unless you're talking about that um, one, is it Henry Winkler? Isn't there a sequel to the one that we watched where he comes back and then you're going to see him again for another year or something like that? Now, didn't you tell me that there was a sequel to that? No. That, oh, right. You've definitely told me at some point there is an adaptation of a follow-up to Christmas Carol where we see what Scrooge is like beyond Boxing Day. I've heard something about a, it was a comedy sketch um, and the whole thing was he had to learn to actually be a bit sensible. Part of it was that he was like taken to uh, Christmas yet to come to find that he was in a rubbishy old grave and the gravestone said Ebenezer Scrooge. And people cared about him that little. He was uh, beyond a soft touch. And that's as much as I have to say on that. Bob Cratchit is Paul Lind. Uh, not good casting, but an easy, easy impression to do. Now, for anybody who's Even not familiar I do with Paul the, Lind, if any, for anybody who's not familiar with the name Paul Lind, could you give us a blast of Paul Lind? I'll get you next time, Penelope Pitstop. That's not very good, but it's, I didn't say I do a good Paul Lind. I say I do a Paul Lind. Don't be afraid to use your nails. Now, for reasons that'll become apparent, I've put Paul Lind in a little basket over here. W.C. Fields, I didn't put in the basket, but Paul Lynn's name, I've put in the basket. Is that people who were alive at the time? No, 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 no. Is this some sort of homophobic thing on your... <clears throat> homophobic. <laughs> you have a basket labelled homosexuals. It's that oh. You always get the pronunciation right. I've noticed this, that, that you're very precise about that. Yeah, whereas I'm lagging behind you when it comes to the pronunciation of the word data. I tend to do say data. Do I say data? You do say data, yes. Remember that time you said, I'm keeping a database of homosexuals, and I, I realised then that there was something, <laughs> you know, not right about you, but... No, no the sexuality or otherwise of, of any cast members, nothing to do with the basket I've got here. Paul Lind was sort of famous, I mean, he's he's in Bewitched, he was an actor, but I think a lot of Americans knew him as a guy who would cro crop up on Hollywood Squares, their version of Celebrity Squares, and Match Game and that kind of thing, and he was sort of camp... And bitchy. But what did we watch him in the other week? The Paul Lind Halloween special. There you go. Gary has this bottomless appetite for American or Americanized. Let's count this as one of them, because actually this version of A Christmas Carol is kind of a 70s US or Canada variety show. And Gary loves those things. And I am certainly not saying he's wrong. They are fascinating. I think it all stems from the Jacksons. Yes. But no, I mean, I think this is something that you often hear the name the Croft Brothers associated with because they are, I don't know, would you say the originators of this particular format? The best way I can describe it for anybody who isn't familiar with this kind of thing, think Channel 4 Harry Hill because there's a lot of elements of Channel 4 Harry Hill in the late 90s which are a really good pastiche of that kind of show. Characters guests and probably just wander on, do their bit, wander off, and so on. So, Jacob Marley is Richard Nixon, and I think that works. So instead of chains, he's wrapped up in tape, and there's a joke about 18 and a half minutes. I should visit his presidential library. It's not too far from here. Interesting. I, I, I would need to actually study this. So maybe we'll come back to this one day, and we'll actually have done some research. I am interested in how, I wouldn't say necessarily quickly, because it's five years after Watergate. But anything that I've ever read or seen about Watergate suggests that for America generally, for the American psyche, 
it was a relatively, I don't know if traumatic's too strong a word to use. Two things about that. One, it's only four years removed from that. So it's surprising in a way. But, of course, as you said at the outset, this is a Canadian program. Does that make it easier for them to pastiche? I don't know, because I think they know where their target market is, and the target market is going to be American. Now, your man in Batman, Frank Gorshin. Brilliant impressionist. Yes. Rich Little talking about copycats once. The ATV series, another one of those weird ATV film to Elstree, but, you know, for America and US. He mentioned that Frank Gorshin didn't do politicians, and that gave Rich Little an opening to do politicians. And so I think Nixon for a while was one of his key impressions. I th- I think when you hear people doing Nixon, it's probably Rich Little's Nixon. Because this whole thing of... <laughs> I wasn't there at the time, but I'm fairly sure that Nixon never publicly went... <laughs> we don't know what's the missing 18 and a half minutes. <laughs> I think had he done that, he might have lasted longer. But I don't know if they're trying to go with the theme for the ghosts all being detectives. So the Ghost of Christmas Past is Humphrey Bogart. Maybe they're going for, because I mean, he did Sam Spade and Philip Marlowe. But it's really a fairly generic Humphrey Bogart. And now it probably would have clashed maybe with the Nixon impression because there's great similarities. But you know who would have been a good impression to do for Christmas Past? Ed Sullivan. Oh, yes. Yes. When they flash back to. Fezziwigs. Uh, he's doing James Stewart as Dick Wilkins. James Stewart would have been a good Christmas past as well, because he's you know he's got that nostalgic quality. Uh, Fezziwig in this version is Groucho Marx, which uh, causes me to come up against the Groucho Marx problem, which is that in my head when I think of Groucho Marx, the voice I hear is Michael Roberts in the '90s Flywheel Shyster and Flywheel, not the actual Groucho Marx. So. And now this is the thing. There are two musical numbers in the past. And I think there's a musical number when he's reformed, but it's not really a musical. And this is something that I've seen in other versions of Christmas Carol. Like, one musical number. that, that One of the Australian versions, which probably was what you had on VHS, one of the versions with Ron Hadrick. There are two Australian animated versions, and both of them have Ron Hadrick as Scrooge. I'm pretty sure this was from New Zealand. Okay, but there's one of the versions where I think like Nephew Fred sings a song and that's the only song in the whole thing. It's not a full-blown musical. Oh, did we mention that Nephew Fred... In, uh, yeah, Nephew Fred is Johnny Carson, which I think is decent casting because Nephew Fred certainly likes to, you know, fire a few little shots at uh, Scrooge. I'm glad you mentioned that because Johnny Carson is also going in the basket with Paul Lind. Okay, and then once the basket's full, and it's not actually going to be all that full because there's only one more name going to go in it. But yeah, once the basket's full, then I'll address the purpose of the basket. Is it people as people rather than people as characters? Because the Ghost of Christmas Present, for no reason I can see, is uh, Peter Falk as Columbo. It's not that great, to be honest, as an impression. It's very similar to his George Burns. He's just doing like Columbo, Columbo is gruff. Uh, sort of, you know, puts his voice there, but Columbo's, you know, he's not not an easy one to do. He's got too much hair. You know when Phoenix Knights, when um, Max and Paddy, the doorman, Paddy gets the uh, the hairspray 
to sort of fluff up his hair and it just like you know expands. That's what his hair looks like in this. It's like Columbo's been fiddling with one of those. It looks a little bit like Chris Searle in that regard. <laughs> Are you familiar with a series of YouTube videos called The Simpsons? Um, it's somebody who's basically hacked off at uh, the current state of The Simpsons and they do five-minute reenactments of recent episode, recent-ish episodes. I've not done it for a while now. And basically about how much they hate them. And they did one about the Simpsons Family Guy crossover. Uh, now, I don't know the name of the wife in Family Guy, but this guy who did this video, the voice he did for her was, Peter! And it kind of reminds me of uh, Mrs. Cratchit in this is Gene Stapleton as Edith Bunker from All in the Family. Edith Bunker's name is also going in the basket. Now, that's all the names that are going in the basket, so I can let you go for the rest of the cast list. Actually, no, yeah, do go for the rest of the cast list, because then it will make more sense when I address the purpose of the basket. What, do you want me to just read it out? Um, there was one character in this scene when we saw Cratchit's household, which caused me a wee bit of confusion, because Tiny Tim... Yes. Now, we saw Tiny Tim briefly, okay, and you had to explain to me who it was. Now, who was it supposed to be? Truman Capote. Okay. Now, my initial impression was that it was supposed to be Andy Warhol. You've never have you never seen Murder by Death? No. Sorry, I was taking a sip of coffee and I shouldn't have done that. What? You've never seen Murder by <laughs> no, Death? I know, I really. What haven't. the hell are we doing here, messing around talking about this ephemera? But, well, the thing is that I should have known that he wasn't going to attempt to do Andy Warhol because, as we all know, the definitive impersonation of Andy Warhol was by Bernie Winters. Was it in one of their own shows? Michael yes, Bernie. no, because yes. um, yeah, you know, Andy Warhol, a film of his had been on TV that week, and I think there'd be a bit of a hoo ha about it. I think it ended up getting shunted quite late at night, and it'd been all over the newspapers. I think there was even talk in the Commons about it. And so, yeah, on their live Saturday night show, Mike and Bernie addressed this hot topic, and there he was. Uh, and I know it's out there, and if you actually see anybody, I probably should admit to this, but if you see anybody ever uh, tweeting that as a meme, it was me that took the screenshot of it. That's all I'm going to say, <laughs> right? But yeah, don't no, don't no, don't no, because it was in a it was in a previous life. So yeah, we're we're not gonna we're gonna dwell on that. But rat fans, what that reminds me of? Uh, yes, my fine. Yes, my Roland Rat and Bernie Winters impressions are the same. <laughs> Fonzie. Eh. No, no. <laughs> I don't know who that was. That was uh, Fred Truman. <laughs> I'll say they. That was a friend of mine. One of the rocks Spain. Now here's one from the fall. Now that, now that was good. That was good. That's the only good one I do. I'm afraid. And I can't say much more than that. It's, you know, it's, it's, um, I'm working on my George Arliss. <laughs> I had a point to make and it's gone now. Uh, let's sorry. Let's go back. Right. Yeah. Ah. Now. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mike and Birdie, Andy Warhol. Uh, of course, reminded me of um, is it Charlie Drake and Henry McGee uh, doing a sketch about Kenneth Tynan on BBC Three. Yes. I have the show playing, so I'm actually jumping forward a bit. But you know what? There's a missed opportunity in this show, and when I say a missed opportunity, I'm talking at the back of my head. Because there's no way anybody on earth would think this was impressive apart from me, my wife, and maybe two or three other people. You know when the the guys are meeting in yet to come, and it's uh, oh well, you know, 
old Scratch has got his after all this time. It's dead. I'm, are you going to the funeral? Well, I'll go if I've got a full bladder. That's not actually one of the lines <laughs> in any version. <laughs> and he's doing John Wayne, George Burns, and James Mason. But, you know, if you can do James Mason, that means you can also do John Carson, the actor from the fantastic 1960 series It's Dark Outside and many other things. So it's like, why, you know, why not do a John Carson, Johnny Carson sketch? On the, you know, let's, let's say only like um, 20 minutes. You don't have to re- you know, really run it into the ground. And um, I would be very moderately amused. <laughs> it would have been niche beyond belief. True. I'm not even sure John Carson would would sit still for a twenty minute sketch about himself. Was is Dark Outside series one only a massive hit on CBC to the point where if John Carson ever stepped foot in Canada, he'd just be absolutely swamped with. I really wish others. somebody had made a film with John Carson, James Mason, and Michael York, and there'd been a scene where all the lights went out. I assume that at some point John Carson must have done some ADR for a film. Of James Mason. Paul Freese, great voice artist, definitely did that for Peter Laurie, and Peter Laurie knew it. There was some point where they met up and Paul Freese was on his way somewhere, and Laurie said to him, Look after our voice. Sadly, Paul Freese could not do John Lennon or George Harrison, but um, we've been through that. And there's one character you haven't mentioned yet, which is the uh, Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come. That's because I'd le- I leapt way ahead. Now, doesn't he say that he's he does. Peter Sellers. Now, this is the thing, because shall we pull back the curtain a little bit? Shall we expose ourselves? What? What? What curtain? What? You've got kayfabe on the brain, mate. No, no, no. They... It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> right. The secret is when podcasts collide, okay? Because here we are recording this. The day after we've recorded this, we're actually doing research for my forthcoming appearance on the fabulous Goon pod with Tyler Adams and we, spoilers. Well, you're doing well. Actually, yeah. you're doing research for your one, and I'm doing my research for my return. Which brings me to something. Now, hang okay, on, no, hang on, on. hold, yeah, no, hold, on, hold, right, hold okay. that thought. I won't. I wouldn't give away what the subject matter is, but the point is, we're watching somebody, Alan Arkin, play Cluzo tomorrow in a film, and this impersonation. I keep on thinking. Is he doing Alan Arkin? Because it doesn't sound anything like Peter Sellers as Cluzo. And we should have done this the other way round. We should have done this recording after we'd watched Cluzo, the film, so that then I would know. What the voice reminds me of is the Inspector. Yes. From the Pink Panther cartoons, voiced by Pat Harrington Jr. With his sidekick, who had the voice of John Bluthall. Well, no, not really, but he did. No, no, he did. He could, no, the Doodoo was Spanish. Apart from one cartoon, because Pat Harrington also did Doo-Doo. Apart from one cartoon, which must have been, like, the first one they did or something, but it, it didn't go out first, it didn't go out as a pilot or anything, but there's one cartoon where Doo-Doo has wide-open eyes uh, and is voiced by Don Messick with this kind of dodgy Mexican accent. But yes, when I was a child, I didn't I didn't really think that the inspector was uh, had any sort of, like, Paper thin. I thought it was just, it was Inspector Clouseau. These were Inspector Clouseau cartoons. Uh, but there's this paper thin barrier, and of course the Inspector is actually way more competent than Clouseau. But I remember seeing Doodoo and thinking, well, that kind of looks like I might not have known the name John Bluthall, but I might have had John Bluthall's face in my mind. Saying, yeah, maybe I would definitely watch all of the Pink Panther films in a marathon if Doodoo was in, particularly played by John Bluthall. 
who is in at least one of the Pink Panther films. Eternal. Well, that's true. Yeah, he's the guy with the minky, isn't he? Yes. See, right. The, the annoying thing is tangent. Right. They brought out all the Pink Panther cartoons on DVD a few years ago, but they're just there individually. They're not assembled along with the titles to whatever series of Pink Panther it was. And you need to have those. You, it's essential that you have the opening yeah. and the close. Particularly, I tell you what, I'd love to see the end credits without the writing. Yes. You know, the disco one. Yeah. People who preferred the one with the kid in the car were wrong then and they're wrong now. That's all I'm going to say. I have no preference. They're both great. So you've named every impersonation in Richard uh, No, I haven't because I have it playing on my screen as, as I do this. And right now I'm looking at him doing his Jack Benny. He's the boy... Have I missed anybody out? Uh, one, but we don't see him. We only hear him. Oh, no. I missed out Laurel and Hardy as the two gentlemen who come. Um, he's Laurel and Hardy uh, good enough? His Stan Laurel's pretty good. Yeah, it, it doesn't... It's not a bad Laurel and Hardy impression, but it doesn't, like, cause my heart to leap. Right. Okay, you know what? Actually, I've got a note here. I suppose in some ways it wouldn't be getting the best out of Rich Little, but in the story, in the story, and it, in nearly every other version... What is notable about the spirit of Christmas yet to come? He um doesn't speak. Harpo Marx. There's a Harpo Marx thing, communicates with the horn. Yes. Only needs to get his eyes to bug out. And I mean, you know, the wig and the top hat will do 60% of the work. <laughs> that would have been good. Yes. There's one other character they impersonate, but I guess it's a spoiler. So Is it? To... Yeah. Well, at, right at the end. We don't, we don't see him. We only hear him behind the door. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. But anyway, okay. Right, now I'm going to reveal the truth about my basket, okay? Because I was looking at this through UK-centric eyes as I was watching it, and I'm thinking, okay, it was made in 78. By the time it crosses the pond, if this was to get an airing on British TV soon after, it'd be about Christmas 79, that about. And I'm thinking, okay, how many of these impersonations would not be entirely appreciated by a British audience. And I was actually expecting more than what I ended up with. I only ended up with three names because I don't think the British audiences will have obviously any issues with WC Fields, obviously not with Nixon or Lauren Hardy or Bogart or anybody else is in that little list there. However, I did see three potential problems. I asked you last night when we were watching this, UK audiences would be familiar with Podlin's voice, but not with him visually. So... If they've got the budget to do it, I think that they should refilm the scenes with the three names that I put in the basket, and I have selected characters for him to play for these scenes for the UK audience. Absolutely. Okay? It's a Commonwealth production. Come on. Okay. So here we go. Instead of Paul Lind as Cratchit, Rich Little as Ronnie Corbett. If you're going to do Ronnie Corbett, I would have had him as Tiny Tim. Because, I mean, it's really just a short joke, isn't it? I wish I'd thought of that. Because I, I, I was saying as we were watching it, the obvious one to go for 1970s US-centric culture for Tiny Tim would be Paul Williams, but his voice, as recognisable as it is, is probably not all that easy to capture. Do you want to tell people what we watched the other day with Paul Williams in it? I think people can guess. Can they? <laughs> I think they know the kind of stuff Every, I Everybody's like. saying, what, you watched that Brady Bunch variety or again? Well, no, but it's times? kind of related to that Brady Bunch variety. Yes, yeah, yeah, is, we, yeah, we watched Phantom of the Paradise. Um, we've got kind of a little lockdown watch club going with a couple of other reprobates. and Yeah, so we, we watched Phantom of the Paradise and three out of four enjoyed it. You know that lockdown hasn't 
been a thing for a little while, by the way. I don't know if anybody told you, but yeah. Well, no, but I mean, that's how it started. <laughs> yes. I, I doubt we're the only people whose like, lockdown social activity has continued past lockdown. So we watched Phantom of the Paradise because I can't remember how this came up, but we ended up watching The Apple first, which is... Gary, Gary describe The Apple. A mess. If you have to explain, oh, this bit would have made sense if they kept the scene that they ended up <laughs> dropping that's in the trailer, but is not in the film. If they kept that bit in, this would make... No, that doesn't... No. No. <laughs> I said the ending paid off if you paid attention to the intro. And paying attention to the intro would have been possible had the intro actually been included in the finished film. But unfortunately it wasn't because the shooting of the introductory scene was some sort of disaster with a tiger getting loose. They should have just kept that in. Somebody on the IMDb did a review and they said always bad, never boring. Yeah, I have this kind of terrible woolly-headedness when it comes to supposedly bad films. There are a lot of films which are classically considered to be bad that I will say they're not bad. Because a bad film would be boring and cynical and complacent and routine. Whereas The Apple is... I can't remember why we ended up watching it. It was definitely some reason where it's like, right, if we've watched this, we have to watch The Apple. No, the re- I think the reason was because in my absence once, although I'd, I'd seen it already, obviously, because we talked about it on the podcast, you watched Sergeant Pepper from 78, and you realised, oh, it's an excellent companion piece to this, but one of our group will never, ever sit through the Apple. <laughs> so we had to wait until such person was not available so that we could then watch it. And in hindsight, I should have been unavailable for that as well. Well, you get Vladek Shebel singing a reggae song about being a master. This is true. But anyway, okay, back to my little basket here. Okay. I think that your BBC two types and what have you, and people with an interest in that kind of thing would have an understanding of who Johnny Carson is. But the first time that I'm aware that Johnny Carson's show was actually broadcast on British television was nineteen eighty one. It also didn't last too long either. It was only available in London and Anglia. Didn't really take off. And it was, I guess, to my knowledge anyway, I'm sure others would be better placed to confirm this, but I think it's the first such occasion of many, many attempts to show American late-night talk shows in the UK over the years. Channel 4 dabbled with Letterman, as did Sky. Uh, There was brief attempts at getting Conan on British screens. Danny Baker and Jonathan Ross obviously sort of aped the format and what have you. But anyway, I digress. So I'm going to say that Johnny Carson, I don't think he's going to go over massively with a British audience, especially if this is going to be on BBC One or something like that. So I'm going to say, in place of Carson, as Scrooge's nephew, Roger Moore. Hmm, yeah. Because I can see him, so he's got the stature, he's got the build, and he's got this, like, like the turn of phrase and what have you, and the witty sort of attitude and demeanour. So I think, yeah, I think that could work. And finally... I did do some research, honestly, whilst we were watching Me too. I actually watched part of an episode of All in the Family. Ah! Now, I'm glad you said that, because I was trying to work out if All in the Family had been shown in the UK to any great extent. I remember Archie Bunker's place being a thing in the early days of Channel 4, but All in the Family, as far as I can see, actually did get broadcast on BBC One in 1971, the year it began, but it didn't persist 
later on it did show up again on BBC Two in 75, but only for a short run. So it doesn't appear that All in the Family ever had a particularly long run in the UK. So I'm going to say that UK audiences would not be overly familiar with Edith Bunker. So a little bit left field here, but the timing is just right. Um, I'm going to say if he can do it, if Richard Little can pull it off, then as Mrs. Cratchit, Marty Kane. Mm. I'm not I'm not going mm as a bad idea. I'm going mm as in impersonating Marty Kane. Yes. Well, we've seen Janet Brown impersonate Marty Kane on Mike Yarwood's shows, so it has been done. I'm pretty sure Channel 4 showed 704 Hauser, which is a spin-off from All in the Family in that it takes place inside the same address. Okay. Per Wikipedia. 704 Hauser features the Bonkers house with the new family, the Cumberbatches. It was an inversion of the formula of the original, featuring a liberal black couple with a conservative son who is dating a Jewish woman. Gloria and Mike's son, Joey Stibick, now in his 20s, makes a brief appearance in the first episode. Five episodes aired in April and May 1994. The sixth episode was unaired. 94? Yes. Wow. Blimey. It's interesting they're saying, like... Showing all in the family on BBC One. It reminds me of when, you know, they tried to make Simpsons happen on BBC One, which was not helped by the fact they could only have really early episodes. Yeah, and they made such a big deal about it as well. It was, I think, they sort of the over promoted cover of the Radio way. Times. Yes, yeah, indeed. And Sabrina, the teenage witch, was positioned opposite it on ITV and did for it. At first, you'd sort of think, oh, yeah, definitely. Every, all the kids are always going on about it. The kids were satellite and what have you. Everybody's been talking about it for all these years. But maybe if they got hold of it in maybe 92, 93, possibly. But, yeah, by 96, I, I guess that the initial sort of appeal had sort of worn off. So, yeah. But, I mean, they settled down. It's a nice wee slot in BBC Two. It was there for how long? About best part, about 15 years or so. So, so are you okay with my... They're not yes, recasting, yes, perfectly, yeah. per se. No, yeah. Um, now we need to do the same thing for when it's going out in France. And for this, I'm going to let you field <laughs> this one. How dare you. Now, Germany, we, well, we just... Right, let, let's let, look at, now we, again, you know your audience, right? You know your audience. You know your audience have got a good bread of cultural knowledge. So I'm going to say in place of Paul Lind as Cratchit, Ilya. Well, I'm thinking, actually, Ilya's the one you get to do the damn thing. Yes, yes. Now, you need to explain Ilya for anybody this, this who is, might this not know who is that is. true, yes. So, years and years ago, Gary said, it's a great thing, you can get this IPTV, all these channels all over Europe. And so the one I was drawn to was ZDF Culture. And they showed Hit Parada, which I am familiar with, with Dieter Thomas Heck. Or Tom, no, it's Dieter Thomas Heck, not Thomas Dieter Heck, isn't it? Anyway. Uh, because I'd, I remember occasionally bumping into that on um, cable uh, and becoming captivated by the song Du Lebst in Deiner Welt by Daisy Dore. Anyway, after the show Hit Prada, they show this thing called Disco, which is a German pop music show presented by somebody called Ilya Richter. And is it fair to say it'd be like if Top of the Pops and the Kenny Everett... Yes show with the same thing mm-hmm. yes absolutely so it would start and like ladies and gentlemen here's shawaddy waddy you know or, or, or somebody german we weren't familiar with or as happened quite a few times british stars who'd never actually made it back home but were big in germany and then you'd have a performance and then earlier in later shows he would be in this little sort of stand at the back of the 
area, the, the surrounded by all these video monitors, and he would then start talking about something, and my German is still not good enough, and we'd then go to the video monitors, and Ilya would often perform a musical number satirizing something. There's one where um, Baccarat, you know Baccarat, yes sir, I can boogie. He's singing Two Ladies, diddly diddly dee, from Cabaret with Baccarat, and it's, it's like, is he just doing a sketch about failing to have a threesome with Baccarat? But that's the kind of thing that happens in a show, that you suddenly go off and we have this weird comedy production number and then we come back and it's like, ladies and gentlemen, here's Racy or whatever. Wonderful. Mad. Sure. And I, I've read some interviews, use Google Translate, with, with Ilya, where he mentioned he wasn't actually interested in pop music. Oh, really? The thing is, he'd been a child star, and I think as he became a teenager, German television put him in like one of the young people's shows, and that's why when they're then devising disco, he gets picked up from a show that's you know another pop music show and put in there. And I guess it's like, well, if if I'm going to do that, then I want to do my crazy sketches. Okay, so massive tangent here. What were we just on just then? I've I've no idea. When I started then recasting. Rich Little for the UK audience. Then, of course, I'm starting to imagine an all-new UK adaptation. Okay? And I was sort of fleshing this out, and I'd like your opinion on this, okay? Because I know that it's really easy to say, okay, Scrooge, or should have been Wilfred Bramble, should have been John Laurie, so on and so on. I was given this some thought the other day. Something popped up in front of me, and I thought, ah, right. Okay, and then I started working on this. So I want, to, I want you to tell me, if you're the comptroller of BBC... <laughs> Uh, television, right? Uh, in 1975, I've chosen that year specifically so that all the names I'm going to read out are, are available. Okay, Christmas 75. You give me the green light or not for this adaptation of Christmas Carol. Okay, you ready? Let's go on a journey because the listeners to the show we're all going to experience this adaptation together. And here we go, right? You, you personally, you are the first person to ever see in your mind's eye this adaptation of BBC television's A Christmas Carol from 75, okay? And one day, when the AI software comes out, we're actually going to make this like that Batman trailer. Oh, boy, that was astonishing. Um, It's just worth mentioning. Yeah, somebody took the trailer for the recent film, The, the Batman, the, and put Adam West and Frank Gorshin and Burgess Meredith in it. But not like, you know, previously people were doing that by just cutting stuff in. And No, this was fully CGI'd. Those characters were inserted properly with the same color grading and everything. And there's just an astonishing bit where the Batmobile comes out of this ball of flame. And it's the 1966 Batmobile. It looks amazing. Anyway, yes, so. Okay, right. So, as Ebenezer Scrooge, Ronald Rad. Okay, yeah. Is, is he doing this as Hunter in Callan? Possibly. For anybody who's not familiar, could you just give a, a quick summary of. Ronald Rad's CV? No, I couldn't. He's in an episode of It's Dark Outside. He's in um, Checkmate, the prisoner episode. He's the nervous guy that number six sort of clamps onto and says, let's work out who are the prisoners and who are the warders. And he played Hunter in the first series of Callan. And uh, he's a real harsh, hard guy who takes harsh, hard decisions. Okay. Cratchit. Barry Evans. Okay. Buddy Evans from Doctor in the House, Ninja Language. The next name 
I also imagined as Cratchit, but I also thought that he could just as easily be Scrooge's nephew, Fred. Christopher Binney. Okay. In what way is this different from the time we did our ultimate casting on Jeffrey Cake Jukebox over on Mixcloud? It's different because I've forgotten about that. And also, some of these names are different. Okay. And also, not everybody's got Mixcloud. I'm pretty sure that Mixcloud is maybe unavailable in certain territories or whatever. So we're reaching those people who can't hear Mixcloud with our podcast. Now, happy with this so far? Yes, yes, yeah, go on, yeah. <laughs> Marley, Dick Emery. Okay, as... Marley. Oh, so he's doing a new performance, he's not... Um... Oh, you mean, right, so, oh, right, okay, so you think Marley should be Mandy or Lampwick, something of that I was ilk. thinking Lampwick. Oh, yeah, I could see that, yes. Okay, we'll go with that. Now, not sure what you're going to think of my Christmases, but I was trying to think outside of the box, right? So... See what you make of this. I think one of these I think you'll really like. Okay. Christmas past, Darren Nesbitt. Okay. As, I mean, what sort of, what vibe is he going for? Right. You know when George Sweeney gets angry? <laughs> okay. I didn't think that Darren Nesbitt is in the film of Pompeii. Oh, it's been such a long time since I saw that. I can't so he's remember. sort of, he's slightly sort of fey and what have you, but. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But that. he's, yeah. he's, he's also, he's got a bit about him. He's no kind of pushover or anything like that, but. Christmas present, Ernie Wise. Now, I would have switched then, maybe, and had Ernie Wise as the past. Really? Yeah. I don't know. There's something about him that represents time's past, and even did probably in his heyday. England's Mickey That what? No. Because he's so sort of full of energy in that episode of Too Close for Comfort. I just sort of pictured him as Christmas present. He's just sort of, hey, come on, let's get out there. Let's see what everybody's doing, and so on. Tiny Tim, Nicholas Bond Owen. Which is exactly the same casting we had, both of us, on, on the Mixed Cloud show, yes. You're not serious. Yeah. Who's a child actor who's not annoying? Right. I, I Honestly, I had completely bloody forgotten about this. When did we do this? What decade did we do that in? I think it's only like two Christmases ago. No. Can't be. Maybe it was uh, there's a show called The Less Obvious Christmas, I think. Right. Okay, in that case, I'm going to change Nicholas Bond Owen to Jimmy Clivero. I don't know what Jimmy Clitheroe's availability was in 1975. Now, Jimmy Clitheroe, I had see as Christmas past in my version, because he's mentioned as looking like a boy, but not so much like a boy as an old man. Christmas yet to come, Dave Prowse. Okay, yeah. As fine. the Green Cross Man. <laughs> and he speaks. Okay. Mrs. Cratchit, Liz Gebhard. I can't place her. Maureen in Placer. That's it, yeah. Okay. Obvious one. Ah, no. Okay. Tell me who you think I'm going to say for Fezziwig. My mind's gone blank. I can't even remember who I cast as Fuzzy Wiggy. My, I'm guessing that we probably would have gone for James Hater. Yes, I think I did. So. However, I've actually gone for William Mervyn. That could work. Yes. Fred's wife, Paula Wilcox. Okay. Mrs. Dilbra, the cleaner. I've got here because you had to tell me your name. Dandy Nichols. Fine. Yes. Old Joe. Brackets the chap who buys dead Scrooge's stuff. I've got my notes here. Ken Campbell. And I've only got here the two do-gooders. You'll have to give me their names, Lauren Hardy and Rich Little. I think it's called the Portly Gentleman. Okay, well, I wouldn't say that I love them particularly portly, but I liked the idea of casting them together. John Inman and Barry Howard. <laughs> yes, yeah, that would work. Okay, so are you going to give us a green light, Comptroller? Oh, yes, yes, that's completely fine. People would uh, welcome that as part of their Christmas Eve on BBC One. Actually, I didn't have it down as Christmas. I was going to put this out in and July. And also on all radio channels, we're just playing the soundtrack. 
maybe ITV as well. I don't know. <laughs> you did get that kind of thing. You got stereo soundtracks on Radio Free on occasion for things. A special episode of uh, The Archers. I nearly said The Avengers. My poor tired brain. No, but you're only, you're only forgetting words. I apparently am. I'm forgetting entire mixed cloud shows. Well, thanks for sucking all the air out of the room by reading out a list of things. You don't have to include it in the final edit. Well, otherwise the show's going to run very short. I was looking at the recording time, thinking, "Oh boy, that, that's the end of Rich Little's Christmas." Carol. I was, I was expecting, I was expecting a, a much more detailed reaction from you to all of those names. I thought it was going to fill at least half an hour. So, so how are you going to uh, celebrate Christmas in the month of May? This is the April show. It might not have come out in April because the March show will be coming out around about the same time. I will celebrate it in my own way. Okay. So we'll be back next time. I know what version we're doing. I I know who we're talking to, but I won't, as ever, I will not um, commit myself just in case. It's going to be better than this one. Happy spring, everybody. I'll be back next time. Gary, you will be appearing at some point in the near future on Goon Pod, yes? I'll be appearing in Dick Whittington. Um, I'll be appearing in what? You'll be appearing in Bradford Crown Court <laughs> on a charge of reading out the list and expecting people to give a damn. You'll be appearing soon on Goon Pod, won't you? I, w- I will. Yes, I will. And, uh, yes, we're all looking forward to that. So for the rest of you, I will see you in... November for the May show. (laughs) Merry Christmas, everybody. Until next time. Nostar.